Martin, can can we start can we start with complaining about Apple? I I know this isn't what I'm like what Apple. I what I told you we were gonna talk about today. All right. But I just gotta say Windows is gonna be my new OS going forward true? into the future. I think so, yeah. Is that the case? Have you seen the new MacBook Pro? Uh I've looked a little at it, but I don't care too much since I'm not in the market to buy a new one. Okay. So Pro, what does pro mean to you? Um, Let's have a philosophical discussion here. Professional? Like pro, yeah, pro, like professional, right? Yeah. Like Leon. Something like that. And Leon needs a USB port, like USB type A, because all his devices are USB type A. And he needs MagSafe because sometimes people trip over his cord when he's, you know, plotting his assassinations inside Starbucks or something. Yeah. And people trip and you don't want to be breaking... Your ports, that's why MagSafe is brilliant. And also, Leon needs an SD card because he is a professional photographer with his espionage and, you know, pre-mission photos, reconnaissance. You got to stick the SD card in there so you can process your photos, enhance, in short, a computer with professional on the end of its moniker needs to have professional features. And I just don't, I don't think that uh, Apple has... What about the pro dongle? Has kept that. It's the pro, the pro dongle. It's the most professional dongle. It'll give you all the features that they took away. I was on Twitter the other day and I was like, how many years do you guys think it's going to be until there is a Apple subscription model for laptops? Basically how, I mean, we kind of do it with phones, sort of. You pay yeah, monthly, like you pay it plan. off, and then you upgrade. Yeah, there's going to be a laptop upgrade and then there's going to be the dongle pro add-on bonus subscription where every yeah. single month you get new cool themed dongles for all the devices that you clearly needed to use but we did not have the foresight to put the right port on the computer for you to well, use now look you can pay 80 dollars for the plain white dongle or you can upgrade to dongle pro for only five dollars a month and every month we'll send you these cool themed dongles like ooh. this one that looks like pac-man eating your usb cord haha <laughs> that's cute I like swag. It. I think that I should take over well, Tim maybe, Cook's job. Maybe they'll walk it back. Maybe there will be another one and they'll be like, hey guys, we put the ports back. Sorry. <laughs> I would jump for joy I and mean, it would be it would be delicious and it would be great. I'm going to milk this MacBook Air for all it's worth. But yeah. uh, see, I don't want to switch to Windows, but I also do like having the little SD card thing and the, the MagSafe thing and all the other things. So I'm just going to use this. Until yeah. I die. You're just going to use a 2012 MacBook Pro. Until or, I die. MacBook Air, I'm use Pro. It until, until it's you so die. old that they're like, is that even a computer? What is that? That sounds fine to me. Yep. Yeah, at some point, computers are just going to be like Snapchat spectacles with weird gloves, and that'll be it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm not impressed. And the specs aren't even that great for the price increase. And uh, on the other hand, you have things like the Razer Blade, which... A few months ago, they actually reached out to me and asked if uh, I wanted to work on like a sponsored video with them and they were going to send me one. And I was like, no, I love my MacBook Pro. And now I'm sitting here like, damn it. I kind of wish I would have taken them up just because I, I want to play with it in, in, in person. I don't know for a fact if it's actually better, but looking at it, it looks basically like a MacBook Pro oh, with yeah. better specs and the ports I need. And yeah, so... I don't know. I got my current MacBook Pro, which I'm totally fine with, by the way. I have no complaints. 
I got it maybe a year ago and I don't think I'm going to be upgrading anytime soon because it's still more than powerful enough for what I need. But if this is the direction Apple is going in, I think my desktop computing experiences, including laptops, anything not mobile will be Windows based in the future. Yeah, well, and it's we'll sad see. to say that we'll see seems after like... this generation. Maybe, yeah. maybe this generation was just a bad kid. They weren't, they're not going to be happy with it. He's grounded. There's going to be a better one next time. Watch Apple come out with a MacBook Pro Plus. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, see, the Pro isn't really for pros, but the Pro Plus. You know what? That'll that'll get him because just there's a little price increase. This one has all the ports you wanted back. <laughs> ah, now I'm gonna buy it. You got me. Yeah, and see, I get that USB Type C is the future, and it's uh, just a really versatile type of port. But the problem is, nobody owns a USB Type C device right now. Like, do you have the anything that uses that? Are always messy. Apple's a little harsh about when transitions are. They're just like, you're done. I think they just you're have like now. this vision of what they want people yeah. to do and like, how they want people to use computers. It's idealist. They just, it's idealist, but uh, in 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 previous generations of their hardware, I think it was idealist in a correct way where people, you know, they saw it and they went, oh, wow, that is the future. And, and now I think they're kind of carrying along the same hubris without the visionary innovation that they used to have. Anywho. Yes. I'm just complaining to you because I probably couldn't go on Cortex and complain to them. Actually, you know what? I haven't checked their feed. They probably have an episode complaining about it that I'll have to go listen to. Anyway, I told you that we are going to follow up the podcast episode that was super meta last week with a final episode for anybody in the audience who wants to become a uh, internet mogul sensation. And that it, this is that episode because today we are talking about how to build your own YouTube channel. And I've been thinking about how I want to tackle this episode because with podcasting, it is kind of technical, like in the setup of getting your files hosted and exporting them and then figuring out how to submit your feed to iTunes. Like that's all kind of non-obvious. But when it comes to actually building a YouTube channel, it's really obvious. Yeah. Like a chimpanzee could do it. So I think what we're going to have to do is focus a little bit on how to make good videos. We'll talk about gear and we'll talk about how to optimize a channel and do some things that can help it grow. But I really don't think we need to spend too much time on how to make one because you literally go to youtube.com and you create an account, which you already have one if you have a Gmail, and then you hit upload. And I mean, you could literally do the YouTube app on your phone and just talk to the camera and upload videos. Yeah. So it's kind of easy. So let's talk about how to make a YouTube channel that is good, uh, that's high quality, that has a focus, and that ideally grows. And I wrote this article. I'm going to pull it up real quick. I called it How to Make Great Videos for Under $1,000. And it's a guest post that I wrote over on the Fizzle blog. Now, Fizzle is actually, if anybody in the audience is interested in this whole blogging, podcasting, YouTubing thing uh, and has goals to actually grow an audience and take this further than the hobby stage, I think Fizzle is uh, definitely something to look at because Fizzle is like a lynda.com sort of uh, monthly subscription access to just a ton of online video courses, but they're all focused around this type of work. So blogging, building an online business, making videos, making podcasts, becoming us kind of. 
And um, I used to use Fizzle a lot. I learned a lot from them. And they have a pretty cool community of people that give a lot of feedback and can be really helpful. But they also have a blog. And I, when I was a Fizzle member and I was paying membership dues, I wrote this big forum post called How to Produce Great Videos for Under $1,000. And then people liked it, so the guys who run the business said, hey, you can make this a guest post on our blog. So I made this. This was back when I had three videos out. So things have changed. Yeah, how many How many do you have now? Um, okay, so in, I... In the 50s, 60s, 90s? I number them, actually. Oh. So and maybe I could talk a little bit about my numbering structure. Ooh, that reminds me, before I forget, I just did a session at FinCon, a uh, live video session about how I make videos faster. So I can link that up in the show notes. Oh yeah. And they, I, I was really stoked this year because last year FinCon, they locked all their videos behind a paywall and you had to buy like this virtual pass to see them all. But now they put them all on YouTube, which I think is a fantastic idea because it helps their brand grow, but also I can link people up to it. So I'll put that in the show notes. If people want to learn how to do some of the tricks I do to make video production go faster, but it looks like, the video that I published yesterday as we're recording this on how to stop wasting time online was video number 76. Oh. And so the way that I kind of do my numbering is I I do my main numbering for what I call main videos, quote unquote. And then I have some little mini series and bonus videos that I don't put in to the main numbering sequence. So five lessons videos, which are the five lessons from books. Those aren't main numbered, and there are two of those, I believe. And then Q&A videos, vlogs, and bonus videos, and what I'm calling app looks, which are just really, really quick looks at a singular app, and the only one I've done so far is on Cold Turkey Writer. Those aren't in the main numbered sequence either. So I'm going to go with one, two, three, four, five, seven more. So that makes, what, 83? Yeah. 83 videos so far plus two guest videos on other people's channels brings up to 85. Nice. Not bad. I remember when I was talking to my friend Matt before I started with the first video, I told him, Hey, I'm going to make one video per week. And by the end of a year, I'm going to have 52 videos. I didn't hit 52 in one year, but it, it is cool looking back and seeing 85 videos under my belt and, and all the, the growth of the channel that's come along with that. So I guess I'll just start with some of the things that prevented me from doing YouTube sooner than I did because I've been blogging for seven years. Wait, is it seven? No, it's 2016. Okay, six and a half. I don't want to make myself feel that old. Yeah, let's not fast forward. <laughs> uh, podcasting for almost four and podcasting with you for quite a while, actually, because you, you got on the Q&A episodes like episode 20 or something oh, yeah. like that is yeah it's been quite a while so you've been a podcaster for a while too but the youtuber uh, you youtubing thing has been just over two years and the reason i didn't get into it for so long is partly because of like people who run fizzle and some of the other people who i had looked up to as online content creators in the beginning they had money and so they would go out and buy really good cameras and i didn't know much about how to make videos so all i knew was Oh, they have a, a camera body and they call it a, what is it? A Canon uh, 5D Mark III. So I went and Googled it and it's like $3,500 oh. without a lens. And then, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at their videos and they're like, they have these nice blurred backgrounds and their lighting is good and everything's awesome. And it must be down to this 
giant camera that costs $3,500 plus a $1,000 lens. Oh, okay, I guess I can't make good videos. And that was one of the things that stopped me for the longest time. But then, and this is why I kind of got into doing regular YouTube videos as part of College Info Geek, there was uh, one post that went up on Fizzle one time on their blog where they said, hey, we're just going to cut like a three minute segment out of one of our courses and make it into a YouTube video and then throw that on the blog as a blog post. Now, to be clear, we're not trying to become YouTubers. We're not going to have like a super regular YouTube schedule, but we think that video would be a nice way to spice up the blog content. And that was like the aha moment for me. I don't have to make amazing high quality YouTube videos if I just want to do something like that where my blog post maybe has a video thrown into it. Yeah. So I went about looking for ways to make a decent quality video. And I had this camera. It was the Sony NEX 5N, which you have something similar, don't you? Uh, it might be. I think it's... What's the one you're using now? I'm using the Alpha A6000. That's Neuros. right, yeah. I think they're kind of related. I, I think know. the NEX 5N was a, was a precursor yeah. to yeah, like the I Alpha. Yeah, I think it turned into the Alpha series or something. That's right. Yep, they had the NEX series, and then I think that transitioned into the Alphas and maybe also split into a higher level model eventually or lower. I can't remember. Sony has so many yeah. crazy models. But it was cool. A friend in college had convinced me to get it for my Japan trip, and it had a pretty decent lens. Uh, I started realizing that I could get sort of that blurred background, and... So I thought to myself, what if I just made a video, threw it up? So I started thinking around the technical aspects of it, and I realized it wasn't necessarily the camera and lens that contributed the most to the video's quality. It was, one, the lighting, and two, the audio quality. So number one, I had to figure out how to get good audio, and because I was podcasting, I was just like, well, hey, I've got this podcasting mic. Why don't I just put it up on this bookshelf next to me? And that sufficed, and then... I had two attempts at lighting. So the first attempt, I wanted to build a soft box. And you can see behind me, I have these, these big soft boxes. And I didn't have the money or either I didn't have the money or I didn't trust the Amazon reviews of the soft boxes on Amazon at the time. So I thought I'm gonna build one myself. And I went to Target and I bought this boxy hamper and then I coated the insides with tin foil and I cut a hole in the bottom and then I bought one of these crazy work lights from Home Depot and basically shoved it into the hole and duct taped it up and tried to plop, prop it up on a chair. Did it work? It cast a nice light. Oh, I forgot. I also bought a translucent sort of curtain and layered it over the front to diffuse the light. Yeah. So this was the first attempt. Uh, and then I was using it for a while and it was kind of working. And then I noticed some smoke coming up off of it. Oh, that's that's <laughs> the downfall. Don't set yourself on fire. <laughs> so that was the day that I learned that um, those work lights get hot and <laughs> you can't basically build an oven coated with tinfoil yeah. to increase the heat and was expect that, nothing bad will happen. Was that here? Was that in this house? That was in the, no, that was in the apartments because I started doing YouTube in the apartment that we were in. Oh, it was still, okay, well, I'm so, glad our stuff isn't on fire. Apologies. Yeah, two and a half years later. Sorry that I almost burned down your room. I, I don't even remember that, but... <laughs> I don't Good think I really told any happen. of you guys. Yeah, probably because you realized that you <laughs> almost killed us all. Oops, Tom. Oops. Fair enough. Don't blame me. Don't blame, blame, blame you for your, look, your idea. Blame uh, and action. Blame and concepts. Blame okay. you know, random. Blame some abstract big, stuff. Yeah, abstract concepts. Like, like time. Nighty. You know? Time did it. Yeah, time. The zeitgeist. 
It wasn't me. The zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I went to my friend Andrew, and not Andrew from Listen Money Matters, a friend of mine in Des Moines. And I said, okay, so my giant hot box turned into a fire, and that didn't work. What do I do? And he said, oh, hey, I did some some stuff in high school and college with video, and I know about this uh, course thing you can take. So this company called Wistia, which is an online video hosting platform where you can pay to host your videos, but you get some extra features. Unlike YouTube, it's not like a super public community thing like YouTube is. It's more of like a, hey, if you want to host videos and get amazing analytics on them and embed them on your website and have email forms come up over them, you can use us for that. They have this learning library full of free videos that you can watch to learn how to make videos really, really cheaply. So, and this is also something that I'm going to put in the show notes because it was immensely helpful for me. One of their videos was this DIY lighting setup video. And so their lights are basically, they bought these really cheap light stands off of Amazon, which I bought and I still use. And then they bought these clamp lights from Home Depot. So basically if you go to Home Depot, you're going to find these, they look like a, a metal dish with a light bulb socket at the bottom. And then there's a really cheap wiry clamp. So you can clamp it on whatever surface you want. And then there's a cord coming out of the back and you plug it into an outlet. So you throw any kind of light bulb you want in there. So they said, all right, you get these, you throw in any sort of daylight balanced light bulb that you want. I recommend led ones because they don't make heat. And then they recommended you buy some photo diffusion paper off of Amazon, which I did. I have since learned that you can just buy wax paper from the grocery store and layer it over. I do like three or four layers and that basically does the same exact thing. You get this nice diffused light and it's great. It costs, I don't know, maybe I think with the light stands, I spent less than 75 bucks for the whole setup. Nice. So, and then what I did was I also bought these lamp dimmers. They're just like little table side lamp dimmer switches. And I did that and I bought dimmable light bulbs because I was going to have, you know, this really small bedroom and I knew the light bulbs at full brightness were going to be too bright. So you can do that or you can just buy lower powered light bulbs. I went for the dimble option just because I wanted a lot of control over exactly how the light would look. But that was my lighting setup. So I had my lights, I had my microphone, and then I just set my camera up and I talked for eight minutes. And there was that first video. Was it just like a straight, straight eight minutes? Like how much? Yeah, it's like a straight eight minutes. Okay. It's so the video is like a it was like a four step pro, four step process for starting your day productively and there two of the steps were at night it was like plan your day the night before go to bed on time and then two of the steps were in the morning I can't exactly remember what they were now because it's been a while but that was the first video I made no cuts I just talked had a lot of ums it was basically like a podcast in front of a camera did you edit it at all like I did yeah. So I, I threw a couple of screenshots. So I remember in that video, I talked about my buffer wake up system where I schedule a tweet and then I have to wake up and reschedule it to the next day before it goes out. Otherwise, it'll be really bad. So I basically talked about that and I just threw up some screenshots of buffer showing my system. So put some graphics in there, but no color correction, no brightness correction. I didn't really know any of those things at the time. I just knew that Premiere Pro is for editing and I have it. So I'll throw it in there. Now, since I had been podcasting, I played with the audio too much, and a lot of people have called this out. That first video, I I threw some reverb on the audio. I don't know why. Really? Some part of me thought, hey, reverb might make it sound cooler. It doesn't. <laughs> it just makes it sound huh. like there's an echo. So that video has an echo on it. 
and uh, I noticed it after I uploaded it. I think what happened is my speakers did not make the echo apparent, and I edited all my speakers. And oh. then later on, I listened to it in headphones, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, well, yep. yep. There's an echo, and people have already watched it, so I can't take it down and republish it. You know, there's already like 15 views on it. And that was pretty big at the time for me. So, yeah. <laughs> so I put that up there. So that that was kind of my origin story for how I started being a YouTuber, I guess. And like I said, at the beginning, it was literally just I'm going to throw videos in the blog because I think it'll spice it up a little bit, just like the podcast episodes. But I think in making that video, it got me interested in video making and I started watching a lot more YouTube videos and I started watching channels like uh, Cat Icarus and John Tron and um, what else is in that space? Space Hamster. Wow, that's a good segue right there. Wow. These are basically channels that they review video games, but they do a lot of crazy editing and a lot of jokes and skits. I really was into those kind of videos and so that kind of gave me this idea like what if I mashed up that format with study content because I noticed on YouTube there was basically nothing that was compelling for people who wanted to learn to study better. There were videos that were like an hour long with a professor talking to a class and the camera's just stuck in the back of the classroom and you can barely hear what they're saying or it was like the beauty channels and the high school girls would have like a one-off video where they say, here's how I highlight my notebook or here's how I study for a test. But there was no dedicated channel with really high quality content in this space. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And because I was watching all these fun video game skit channels, I started getting interested in making videos like that. So that's why you saw videos like the Tony Hawk method for figuring out whether or not you should go to college and the Habitica video where I talk about like how it's related to Pokemon and there's like a picture of you that comes up and yells at me and stuff really yeah i don't know you oh you you don't watch my videos do you no i don't <laughs> well yeah. i'm gonna have to see that later yeah in the in the habit rpg video there is a picture of you that comes up and it just says like i will actually hurt you if you don't do your habits okay because we're talking about how the the party system will damage your friends if you don't do your habits oh yeah which i think is one of the most genius aspects of yeah. habitica so i just started having fun with it and it just started to grow from there. It was pretty slow at first. And then I made the video about what to do when you don't feel like doing your work, which I have to admit here, I had planned on making a video on the 80-20 concept and I had this huge script written out and I needed to get the video out within two days. And I told myself, this can't happen in two days. It's too ambitious. So on a whim, I got in front of the camera and I just basically spoke my feelings on not feeling like doing your work because I told myself I must get a video out this week, even if it's not this one. You just freestyled. So it was basically freestyled. Yes. Yeah. I think I had written down a couple of little preliminary notes before I started. That went viral on Reddit. Viral, I guess. It, it got 50,000 views in a couple of days. So for me, that was viral. I've seen videos get like a million. That's actually viral. But for me... <laughs> Hashtag humble brag. <laughs> it was just 50,000. I know that's like... Yeah, Nothing. it was just 50k, you know, it's it's like chump change. Everybody everyone gets, gets 50K. that on Facebook, everyone does. But that I think that was one of the moments that really launched the channel and kind of solidified in my mind this idea that okay, Tom, now you're a YouTuber, not just a blogger who's occasionally makes a YouTube video. So that was the start and that was when I really committed to okay, every single week we're going to get something out there. We're going to be prioritizing growth of the channel over everything else. And that's where I started looking at all these different things I could do to improve the channel. 
So that was mainly my story. And I don't know. It, do you think this is there's like enough detail in there for people to pull out of it, like how to start with their stuff? Or do you think we need to give some specific gear recommendations before we go on to optimizing a channel? Well, gear recommendations, I, I personally, I mean, I don't know if you agree about this, but I personally think the audio quality is more important than the video quality. You could take a like a decent-ish video with your phone. If the audio quality is good, I might still mm-hmm. watch the video. Yeah, I agree with I'll that. I'll get really annoyed if the audio is bad, but honestly, I don't, I don't think I would care much if the information was good and the video quality was subpar until you could afford a cool camera or something. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. So, and there is a video on YouTube, uh, maybe I can find it, and I think most people don't need to watch it to kind of get the point that you're making here, but there's a dude who, he shows really great quality video with crappy audio and then switches it to really good audio and bad video, and it's just, the difference is immediately noticeable. Yeah, audio matters so much more than video quality. Well, that is a beautiful example. Actually, a really good example is this girl. I think her name is Jenna. Oh, my God. What is it? Um, she did the Suicide Squad Amanda Waller video that went that went viral on Reddit. Uh, Jenny Nicholson, that's her name. So she had this video where she basically is making fun of Suicide Squad. And the audio is decently good. But the video quality looks like she filmed it on a potato. What does that even mean? <laughs> was she on a potato? Was the camera on a potato? Was the potato filming? Well, the the potato is the camera. Okay. I mean, we okay. have seen from Portal 2 that potatoes can be AIs, so why can't they be cameras? I, I guess and I, I see a good reason why not. Clearly, she's filming this on a potato, but it's got two and a half million views. Oh, well, there you go. Is the audio decent, though? Yes, the audio is decent. Yeah. You know, it's not like studio quality Howard Stern, Golden Eagle audio, as well, my friend Andrew would say. Yeah. But it's it's not distracting that's the big thing it doesn't have to be amazing and i think i've stressed too much over perfect quote-unquote audio quality in the past but really it just has to be not distracting or grating or annoying in any way yeah you're not like this this sounds like a tin can and i can't think about this right now yeah whereas i think if she would have been filming this video on the red dragon super 4k ultra camera that cost fifty thousand dollars and then you know her microphone was bad it wouldn't have gone viral because it would have been painful to listen to. Yeah. So with that being said, I tell people if they really want to start out super cheap, they have basically zero budget, but they want to start a YouTube channel, use your smartphone to film. Because, I mean, most people have a modern smartphone that can probably film in 4K these days. And actually, there are several videos on my channel where you probably couldn't tell that we filmed certain segments on my iPhone. Yeah. So, and especially when you get into the editing, if you can creatively edit things together, people are not going to notice. Really, in my opinion, the biggest thing you lose by filming on a smartphone is you lose that blurred background. Oh, yeah, because you can't control like aperture mm-hmm. things like that. At least yeah. at this point, maybe, Your iPhone, maybe someday. Well, actually, so I, me, me saying this now, I think we're at a turning point because the iPhone 7 Plus is that what it's oh doesn't it have like a thing that artificially introduces kind of that effect yeah it has two camera lenses and you can artificially put in a blurred background and it works pretty well now i've seen it on photos i don't know if it can do it on videos yet yeah i don't know but if it can't i would say that we are rapidly approaching a time where your smartphone will be able to if not actually film at a low aperture with a blurred background 
it'll be able to throw it, it in. It'll there. at least look decent. Yeah. And so imitate it. It's one of those like last frontiers where you can tell like somebody used a really high quality camera and then it's gonna be erased. Soon enough, technology people, destroys who all. That camera will be really mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch for like two years from now when Samsung or Apple or somebody comes out with a a phone that just makes the Osmo totally relevant. Yeah. Yeah. The stabilization is so good. You could literally toss it like a baseball and it will look like drone footage. So Ooh, that'd be cool. That would be amazing, actually. And I want a baseball camera now to see what that would look like. Looking forward to it. That would be insane. But, uh, you know, all that being said right now, unless you have some sort of super iPhone 7 plus and it has a feature I don't know about, you can't really get that blurred background. That being said, if you've watched my more recent videos, you might have noticed that I have toned down that blurry background. In most of my older videos, it's very blurry. And ever since the, let's see which video, ever since, I think it was the Q&A one. Yeah. Ever since the Q&A one that I did a couple of months ago, I raised the standing desk up to standing height, decided to start standing while filming all the time. And I also purposely introduced a higher aperture. And so I, I keep remembering like move a little more because yes, you're standing because I'm standing and I want to be able to move. Yeah. Now there's a YouTube channel I watch called uh, I am alpha M, which is a channel for like men's style and fashion and grooming and stuff. And it's a really good video. If you like want to learn how to dress better and stuff like that. But I noticed that his videos don't have a lot in the way of graphics or animations or crazy editing that I like to do and which takes me hours and hours to do, but they're still really entertaining and I attribute that to the fact that he moves around a lot when he's filming and he'll do those crazy jump cuts where he's on one side of the screen and then pops over to the other side of the screen. And I realized I can do something like that, but I can't do it if I have this incredibly blurry background because that means there is a very narrow band of space where I can stand yeah. without the camera getting out of focus. You're going to lean back and like blur your whole face off. Yeah. Well, so see, this is... This is a good example of something you'll run into when you start making videos, especially when you want to get good quality. You're going to run into really weird tech problems. For example, I bought the camera that I use now, which is a Canon 70D, because it has amazing autofocus capabilities. So when I bought it for the longest time, I was filming on autofocus and it wouldn't have mattered to have that background blurry or not because it would just follow my face. But once I started filming in front of this backdrop, which most people are probably familiar with if they watch my videos, there are these faces on posters here. Oh. And especially problematic for whatever reason are these Scott Pilgrim books that are on the wall because the camera would keep focusing on them whenever I would like look to the side a little bit or just, I don't know, at random and I would get a bunch of ruined footage. So for a while I started filming back with manual focus and I would have to reset it myself. So that's why I introduced that less blurry background because it gave me more physical space to move around and still be in focus. And I keep realizing that I keep saying this word aperture and I bet a lot of people don't understand what it is. So the way a camera works is there is a variable sized hole that lets light in to a sensor, right? Or in the olden days film. So the bigger this hole, the more light can get in. So the brighter it's going to be given a fixed shutter speed. So say that you open the hole for uh, one sixtieth of a second, which is what I tend to film at. Well, if the hole is big, that is a low aperture. So like F over 2.3, say, or what I usually film at in the past was F 1.8. So that means the hole's big. You're letting a lot of light in. So you're getting this bright shot, even if it's a low shutter or a, you know, really quick shutter speed, but also 
the bigger that hole is, the the shallower the depth of field is. And if you want to understand what depth of field is, basically like put your finger up in front of your eye really close and focus on it. And you can see everything in the background is now really blurry. And then focus on, you know, the the computer screen that's in the background now. Well, now your finger is blurry. And because you have two eyes, now you see two. But if you had one, you would just see one finger, but now it's blurry. So I forget what the aperture of the human eye is, but basically, and this is getting a little bit technical, the closer the subject is to the lens, the blurrier the background will be. And, you know, the bigger that hole is with the more light being let in, the shallower the depth of field is. So if you put your finger, you know, closer to that computer screen, you're going to see them both kind of in focus. And if you had like a smaller circle of light, they would both be more in focus with the camera too. So that's basically crash course on aperture, but that's why you can get a blurry background with a low aperture lens because you can really open up that circle that lets light in and get that nice shallow depth of field. And with your phone camera, you can't. I feel like that was the biggest diatribe in the world, but yep. <laughs> hopefully people know about photography techniques well, now. Now you know. <laughs> now you know. Anyway, so yeah, long story short, use your smartphone and get some experience with editing, with doing good audio, that kind of thing. Uh, build yourself some DIY lights. I'm going to have that video from Wistia linked up in the show notes. And then with audio, I recommend either a cheap podcasting mic on a mic stand because that's exactly what I did or a lav mic. Now, I usually don't like to film with lav mics, which are lavalier mics are the ones that you clip to your, your shirt. I don't like filming with them for the most part because I don't like being able to see them in the shot. And oh, it's yeah. kind of a... It's kind of a pet peeve because, I mean, really big YouTubers like Philip DeFranco do it. A lot of people do it. I just don't really like people being able to see all the filmmaking equipment in the shot. That's just my preference. But there's a really good mic on Amazon. It's called the Royal Voice Mic, which can plug into your smartphone and be used as a mic there or into a little digital audio recorder if you want. At 15 bucks or 16 bucks, it has pretty dang good quality. And, and the key here is it's going to be close to your mouth. So if your smartphone is far off, it's going to get a really echoey kind of tinny sound and that's what you kind of want to avoid. So whatever you do, get some sort of external mic and then you can sync up your audio with your video footage in post-production on whatever editing program you use. I use Premiere Pro. You could also use Final Cut. Uh, and then there's one that I like to recommend to people because it's free and it's called Hit Film Express, I think. Yeah, Hit Film Express. Uh, it is literally free video editing software that gives you all the basics for free. It's like pro level. Holy crap. I don't even, I can't even believe it exists. And then the way they make money is they do have a pro edition. If you want some really crazy stuff, you can pay for it. And it's like a hundred to $200 or you can get little like $10 add-ons. So say, and I haven't used it super in depth, so I don't know the exact add-ons, but say like you wanted a certain color correcting profile or you wanted a certain tool for uh, easily animating things, you could buy that for $10 and add it on. And I think that is a fantastic model for people just getting their feet wet because if all you need to do is cut some footage up and maybe throw some graphics in there in a really basic way, it's free. Yeah, that's a really it's low amazing. barrier of entry. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, you mentioned having to sync up the audio with the video mm -hmm. separately. That can be kind of annoying, but you were doing this specific thing when we filmed the Osmo video you were either snapping or clapping or something to, oh, yeah. to help it line up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 
pretty much any video editing program on the audio track, you're going to be able to see what's called a waveform. And this is basically, I mean, I'm looking at one right now. It's basically just a visual representation of how loud uh, the sound is at any given moment in time. So it's just like this really wavy, rocky line. And if you clap or snap, and I'm not going to do it because it's very annoying to hear, but if you clap or snap, you're going to get this very sharp, tall line on the waveform. So if you are recording audio on your camera, which it does by default, and on your external audio device at the same time, then if you clap or snap, you're going to get that nice, you know, very easy to see line on both the audio and the video audio waveforms. So then post, all you have to do is drag them so they match. And that's a really easy way to sync up your audio so you don't get that echoey sound. And then what you can do from there is cut out the audio that's attached to the video file and then just use that external audio alone. And that's what makes it sound really, really good. Yeah, and I know that you using that technique, the audio and video got lined up really well. And I imagine it was easier than if you were trying to line up a specific word. Yeah. So I'll be honest, I don't personally do it for the most part because I've been editing video for so long that I actually can quite easily go and look mm. at little elements of words. Like if I say a hard T or something, I, I'll know that on the waveform I'll see a nice little sharp line. Oh, it won't yeah. be huge, but I can see it. So I can go in and find things like that. And and uh, I'll personally, I match audio that way, but it's a really good beginner technique. Yeah, you've and, done like 85 videos, you said, or something like that? Yeah, I've done a lot. I remember when I was doing the FinCon session, I was going through stuff that seems like breathing to me at this point, and people were like, I, I literally don't even know the first step that you took to even set up this thing. So, yeah, it's what happens when I talk about video. Yeah. I start getting into things where I become an expert. So I have to purposely get my mind into this area of, you know, what what is a beginner going to find useful that yeah. maybe I have skipped over now? On a similar note with snapping and clapping, I found that when you're filming, you make a lot of mistakes. It's kind of odd because with podcasting, I'm just talking to you. I don't mess up my words that much. But when I'm in front of a video camera, there's this weird pressure to be perfect. Or I keep thinking about my facial expressions or, I'll, you know, in some way, I'll screw up a line many, many times before I get it correct. So in editing, I have to go cut out every single one of those bad takes and Another really good beginner technique for dealing with that and for editing faster is number one, to clap or snap after you get a good take. So, you know, you say your line 10 times, you flub it, you mess it up, and then you get it really nice, eloquent, perfect, just perf just right, you know? Yeah, just the like Emperor's Mama New Groove thing. Make. Just like Mama used to make uh, if she was a YouTuber. And then you clap <laughs> yeah. or snap, and then you move on to your next line. Because then in post, what you're gonna see is a bunch of these lines in the waveform where you can see, boom, all right, that is where that good take was. So I'm gonna go right to it, I'm going to cut it out, and then I'm gonna cut everything before it until the next big hard line, and I'm just gonna delete that stuff. Yeah. So that helps you edit really quickly, and if you pair that with editing backwards, so you go literally to the end of your video, and you edit from the last piece of text or line that you had to say back to the beginning, uh, just makes it really easy because obviously the last take is probably going to be the right one on every given line. Yeah. And then you have a video edited. So people ask me, you know, what do you attribute to whatever success you've had on YouTube? And part of what I attribute to uh, my success is once I have the edit where I'm just talking, 
where a lot of people would just publish that, I start to think, okay, how do I make this a lot more entertaining to watch? And that's why I spend so many hours on graphics, animations, text, sound effects, all kinds of fun stuff like that. So pro tip, if you want to make your YouTube channel successful, once you have your edit, spend some more time coming up with ideas for animations or for just graphics to throw in there and make your video entertaining. You know, just like watch it. And this is a really good tip actually that somebody taught me. When you're watching through your video once it's edited and maybe you need to take a break, maybe you need to take a walk or something before you go do this, this review uh, watch through. Note when you start to get bored because when you start to get bored, it's probably going to be the furthest into the video that your audience will get bored. They'll probably get bored before that. So if you can note like, all right, I feel like I've been watching myself talk for the last 45 seconds here and it's kind of boring. All right, that should tell you this is a good part in the video where I should come up with maybe a visual reference or a joke or a graphic, something to kind of shake things up a little bit. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. That's what I do too. And I remember one of my friends from Portland uh, really early on in my YouTube career told me he liked my videos because it was almost like this drip feed of, I don't know, little dopamine bursts or something because he knew within, you know, every 30 seconds, there was going to be something that would come up, some oh, little yeah. animation, some little, you know, little thing just to keep you entertained. It's not just talking. And a lot of business people are used to videos where it's just people talking. So that was helpful. And I think that that's going to get us into a couple of little tips on how to make your YouTube channel as a whole stand out. So uh, I can't talk about literally everything because we're going to run out of time, but a few things that I do and you can, I actually, this is the first thing I'm gonna tell you guys. If you want to make a YouTube channel that's successful, subscribe to a lot of successful channels and study what they do. And that doesn't mean you have to copy what they do or you have to take every single element of what they do, but just pay attention to things that look like they're contributing to the success of these big channels and then see or ask yourself, can I implement that? Does that make sense to implement into my channel? So a few of the things that I noticed other people doing that I have basically adapted for my own channel. Number one, uh, I think this is probably the biggest one is my thumbnails. So a lot of channels don't put a whole lot of thought into the thumbnails, but I realize when people are scrolling through the homepage of YouTube or when they're searching for something, the thumbnail is the first thing that catches their eye. So I spend a ton of time on every single thumbnail because I know it is potentially, if not the most important element of the video, it is the first impression. It is the thing that will get people to click. So it warrants a lot of time. And when I'm designing these, which I do in Photoshop, I will zoom them out to a really small size before I save them and make sure that, you know, it, from a distance, not from a billboard size, but from like a postage stamp size, I can still read what it says and it's still somewhat compelling in some way. And uh, I've gone through and read articles about the psychology of colors and, you know, how much brightness you should put on your face and whether or not you should be making eye contact. And there's all these weird psychological things people try to pull out from scientific studies and apply to their marketing. Uh, I've tried that stuff, but for the most part, just make sure they're clear, visually interesting. And if you're going to use text, you don't always have to, depending on your topic. But if you're going to use text, make sure it's easily readable. Don't put like a whole book on your thumbnails. Yeah. So one thing I used to do is I would put dash college info geek at the end of every title. And I noticed somebody, I stopped doing this a little while ago and somebody called me out on it. So basically I did this because all those old channels I used to watch like Cat Icarus and John Tron, they would put 
dash JonTron or dash Catacarus at the end of every video because it was like the show title. And I thought, hey, that's smart because my blog's name is College Info Geek. So at the end of every title, I'm going to have the word college, which might be kind of good for search or search engine optimization on there. I don't know if that's true, but I did it for a while and I think it helped to sort of build this, I don't know, maybe cohesion between all the videos. People, at least in my mind, I don't have a whole lot of validation on this, but in my mind, it kind of built up this image of the channel as like a show, like the College Info Geek show. Yeah. Now I've stopped doing it because I have started thinking really hard about every single word that's in the title of a video and the order of the words. So I've read somewhere that the first three words and the last three words of a title anywhere on the internet are the ones that people pen, uh, tend to pay attention to the most. So if I have dash college info geek at the end of every title, then maybe I'm diminishing the actual end of the title. For example, I have a video called, let's see here, the most powerful way to remember what you study, which is one of my most successful recent videos. Well, what you study, those are the last three words. And I wanted to have that word study there because people are, are searching and they're asking, you know, they have this problem, like, how do I remember what I study? How do I become more effective with my studying? So if I just have college info geek, that word is no longer at the end. It's in the middle. So I wanted, I started thinking about, you know, what, what is a compelling title? And I just came to the conclusion that dash college info geek isn't part of a compelling title. So I, I axed it. Now, have you seen any like changes or results from that or just uh, seeing where it goes? So th this is the problem. I would say that the performance of the channel recently has been good. And the most powerful way to remember what you study was the first video where I dropped that dash college info geek moniker or little addendum suffix. Yeah. And it has almost 300,000 views, which is easily the best that I've done in the past probably year at least. So... It would be tempting to say that, yes, dropping the little suffix was the reason, but I, I, don't, I don't know if it was. Yeah, it could also just be improving quality of mm -hmm. videos. See, I think that is a high quality video, but I also think that the title itself was very compelling. Now, isn't, mm -hmm. there, isn't there like a website you can go to to test out whether yes. a title is good or bad? Thank you for reminding me. Yep. It is uh, the CoSchedule Headline Analyzer. Oh, yeah, that's the one. So it's CoSchedule.com slash headline dash analyzer. We'll put that in the show notes as well. This, you can type in what you are going to use as headline and it'll give you a score. Now, don't take this at face value because you can game this tool like None other. Like if you, I think the, the highest score I ever saw somebody get, cause I did a little contest on Twitter once was a 94 and the title was something like 10 ways to become rich forever and become social time baby. Stuffing it with every emotionally like, I be a social time baby. I mean, who doesn't want to be social time baby time baby is the ruler of the entire universe in the future. Yeah. I learned that from gravity falls. So, Hey, maybe he's onto something, but I think more probably you can just game this tool, but it does help you to start thinking of titles from the perspective of somebody else who maybe sees it among a hundred other titles on a web page and who just wants to click on something that they're curious about or who wants to solve a problem. So my original title for this video was how to learn more effectively with spaced repetition because the video is about spaced repetition. Well, I got to thinking 
I know what spaced repetition is. You know what spaced repetition is. You use Anki all the time. But does the average person know what the heck spaced repetition is? Yeah, they'd have to be searching for it in right. order to... And they'd already know at that point. So that basically narrows the potential audience for that video down to people who know what to search for and know the term spaced repetition, which is probably a very small group of people. Yeah, and they're the people that are going to probably derive much less value than the people who didn't even know that was a technique. Exactly. So I reframed my thinking from, all right, instead of having the title simply be a description of the exact technique we're going to talk about, what if the title simply told people what problem it's going to solve? So I honestly believe that space repetition is one of the most powerful memorization techniques in the world because it is, it's basically just a form of temporal manipulation. You're just you're just you're changing time wizard you're basically attack a, mode. Yeah, you're a time wizard in attack mode you're joey wheeler but you're also <laughs> just adjusting the times at which you study which means you can combine it with any other memorization technique it's not like you're not using memory palace in lieu of using the master system or something it's, it's literally just i'm gonna study at different intervals and oh look that's way more effective so i came to the conclusion that this may be one of the most powerful memorization and study techniques there is so I just used that as the title because I knew a lot of people want to remember what they study. That is uh, something people search for and something people ask me about via email and comments a lot. So boom, title. And I think that is one of the big factors in why that video did well. So now I think really hard about how I title my videos. And I try, I try to stay in a nice middle area where it's not clickbaity. You know, I'm not putting like five ways to study. Number four will make you poop your pants and also change your life forever. But it also can't be boring. You know, we can't, you know, an elucidation about the spaced repetition technique. Like nobody's going to click on that. like a study paper. Yeah, exactly. I might look at it while researching something more entertaining. And when you think about it, you know, what's the point of a YouTube channel on this kind of a topic? It's to bring to light and spread the ideas that are in these esoteric scientific study papers that have horribly boring titles you know that those papers hold really good information but no one's going to read them because they aren't developed by entertainers and marketers they're developed by scientists so that's how i kind of view my role as a communicator and a spreader of those ideas so that yeah thumbnails titles um a couple of small things that i think are good to do with your channel and that a lot of people neglect to do you can set your channel up to have this improved homepage. So the default homepage is literally just a feed of your videos going down vertically in order of upload. Um, and if you click the little gear thing, you can actually switch it over to this custom one where if you look at my channel, you can see what it looks like. There's a what to watch next thing, with a really big video, and then you can build out the rest of the page with playlists. And I have taken a long time and a lot of thought and effort to build relevant playlists for my videos so that way i can get people to watch multiple videos instead of just one so i've got the effective studying and learning playlist i have the uh, playlist that's all about how to improve your exam grades and study for tests i've got the productivity playlist and there's like the reading playlist all these things and this is just a way to help people find what they're looking for because if they just look at your videos page they're going to see everything in chronological order and that is not necessarily the most helpful order for somebody who's looking to solve a particular problem that they're dealing with yeah so if i can group the videos by problem or by topic i'm being more helpful and probably getting more views at the same time which the algorithm likes 
Yeah. Now there's there's one thing. What about like the end card? Is there is that necessary? Does every beginner need that? Is there a technique or something? Mm. How do you set that up? Yeah. So the end card, is, and to explain what this is, all of my old videos have an end card where I will end the video. I'll say, you know, thanks for watching. I'll see you next week. And then, boom, the logo shows up. The music starts playing. And then you'll see last week's video thumbnail playing. You'll see a picture of my book. You'll see a picture of a button that says subscribe. And yes, those are good, but that is also a thing that's in flux. So I always used to make those and those are part of my overall strategy for using the videos as the top part of what we call a funnel. Because what we, I mean, in a business sense, what we want to do is get people to subscribe to our email list. We don't currently have products, but eventually in the future we may have like courses or products. So if you have an email list, you can tell people about them. And the videos are a way to get people on your email list. That's why I have my book. Part of the reason why I have my book. It's a way to kind of build a a stronger audience also. And this is something you should think about if you're going to be doing YouTube. If you only have your audience on YouTube, then you are giving all the power to YouTube because that is the only place you can go to let them know that you're doing something. So if they someday shut down or they pull a Facebook and make you start paying to reach more of your audience you have basically no recourse. But if you do what I do, where you build an email list uh, alongside your YouTube subscribers list, then now you have something that you control because nobody can ever really mess with your email list. Yeah, so if YouTube uh, destroys itself in the next day, you still have Mm collegeinfogeek.com and your email list and other things. You still have the ability to talk to the people that were interested. Yeah, or or even, you know, here's an even more realistic scenario. What if uh, somebody, and I, I have taken a lot of steps to prevent this, but what if somebody hacked my channel, you know? Obviously, I would be getting in touch with YouTube to try to get it back, but in the meantime, if I didn't have an email list, I would have no way to communicate with most of my subscribers and tell them I'm hacked. Oh, yeah. uh, but now that I have, you know, the email list is about a third the size of the YouTube channel. I could at least tell a third of the people subscribe to me. Hey, it's hacked that video of Barney, you know, dancing to Metallica on the channel. That wasn't me. That's an awesome. Though I, it could have been me. Is that really? It might have been me. That up? I just made that up. We I should make that. I'm yeah. Mash it up. Video coming up. <laughs> so, yeah, that that is useful. But in the end card lets one. people do that. So I would say that if you have goals to if you want people to take action in any way after they watch a video then an end card or something similar is a really useful way to do that the way i'm being there the reason i'm being a little bit hesitant about this is that youtube is rolling out this end card editor that's in beta and what it used to be is you used to have to draw these little annotation boxes over parts of your video and then you could make them clickable. So what I have, what I used to have to do is I would make actual graphics of an end card in post when I was editing. Oh. And then when I'd upload it, I would draw the little annotation boxes over the boxes that were already baked into the video. So you click the subscribe button, the subscribe button's just a graphic in the video and then there's an invisible little border around it. That's the annotation. But now what they're doing and not every channel has access to this. So it's, I think it's in beta and I think only big channels have it at the moment. They have this new end card editor where you can choose elements to put onto the screen. They literally put them on the screen and they are pictures. So you can choose a subscribe one. It'll put your profile picture on the screen. You can link to a site you own or to like a merch site if you sell things on DFTBA or Spreadshirt or something like that. And you can link to other videos, either yours or other people's. 
and you actually put them on the screen. And the great thing about these is they work on mobile devices, whereas annotations don't work on the YouTube mobile apps at all. So that's helpful. That's cool. But it does somewhat diminish the need for an actual designed end card because now you're literally putting elements on the screen instead of just drawing boxes over elements that you had to draw in the editing program. So what I've been experimenting with lately is I don't do an end card. I just keep talking and I will point at the things. I'm like, hey, there's a video right here, point. There's a subscribe button right there. You should subscribe if you want more videos, point. And then they pop up. And uh, there are some limitations. You can only have 20 seconds, the end, like the last 20 seconds of the video can have these, but no further than that. But overall, I think they're pretty good. And even if you just want people to subscribe to your channel, which you should, it is it is useful to ask them to do that, which is why you see pretty much every YouTuber Don't saying, forget. please like, comment, and subscribe, and friend me on Friendster, and also come to my house and, you know, we get a barbecue next weekend. It'd be great if you could bring some little Smokies or something. Yeah, and if you, you could know, FaceTime me. FaceTime, get my Snapchat on, all that. So, yeah, calls to action. That, that's why they do that. Anyway, Martin, I talked for way longer than I planned on talking. If you thought anything <laughs> different was going to happen, you were a fool of a took. I am a fool of a took. But, you know, I went into this episode thinking, man, I don't have as much to talk about because starting a YouTube channel oh, is so you, much YouTube. easier than starting a podcast. Yeah. But then there's, but, once you uh, get talking, there's a zillion of yeah. little details. It's still not easy. Probably. I mean, yeah. the technical aspects are easier. That's true. But still. The technical aspects of getting it yeah, online. Of getting it on YouTube. Like the video you aspects are much harder. Hosting and all that other stuff. But there's, there's yeah. plenty of other stuff to worry about. So just to recap, because I, I know this episode was probably yeah. a little bit disjointed. Yeah. Somebody just wants to start. What do they do now? And uh, I, I'm, Six I'm, easy I'm steps. sick today. So sorry about that. But so I'm going to give you some resources here. Number one. Uh, that post I wrote on the Fizzle blog, how to produce high quality videos for under a thousand dollars. Like I said, I wrote that back when I had done three videos. So I, I've changed up the gear I use to a degree. I've changed up a, a few other things, but for the most part, this is probably 3000 word breakdown of every single thing I used to do when I was starting out. So if you want to basically see everything I did, uh, this post is it. And I'm going to have it linked up in the show notes, which, by the way, are cigpodcast.com slash 134. Yes. Cool. And that shows end cards, that shows editing techniques, that shows graphic techniques, all kinds of stuff. It also shows some channels that I recommend checking out, such as my friend Caleb Wojcik's DIY Video Guy channel. His channel is all about how to make better videos. I've got the Wistia Learning Center linked up in there, but I'm also going to have that in the, our show notes as well. And then I have some recommended channels that I found inspiring that helped me kind of build my initial style. And I think my style has evolved and become more my own over the past couple of years. But at first it was really just kind of a, a more or a less refined, you know, like you could kind of point at it and say, all right, that's, that's the mix of these two things. Whereas now you might say that's a mix of 20 different things plus 50% Thomas's own stuff. So you might, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're making things and you start to realize that what I'm making is very similar to something that I like on YouTube, that's totally normal and that's fine. So, cause you're going to, you're going to build your own style and it will evolve and change as you make more and more stuff. So that post is on there. Wistia video creators is on there. There's also really good stuff on YouTube itself. 
and I've got a playlist called Making Videos, which is just a totally disjointed playlist of every video tutorial that I go and find whenever I'm making something and I need to learn something. So if I'm making something in After Effects and I don't know how to move this graphic in a certain way, I go to YouTube and I Google how to make a graphic move with a curve in After Effects. And when I find a video, I will save it because I know I may need to reference it later. And I have this playlist. I used to keep it private, but I mentioned it in my FinCon talk and now it's public. So I'll have that linked up. It's not a course by any means, but if you want to scroll through it and see if anything catches your eye as something you'd like to learn as well, I'm glad that it is helpful. And then finally, that FinCon talk on how I make videos faster. It's like an extra 45 minutes or an hour of me talking about YouTube. So if you want to hear about that, you can find that as well. Anything else you think we should link to? Uh, I mean, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Cool. Diggity dope. So I think we've gotten to the point in this podcast, you know, the entire show, not just this episode, where we now have how to blog, how to podcast, how to YouTube, and how to become a published author with my friend T. Michael Martin. Those four episodes, I think we have the the Media Mogul Empire series yeah. done. Yeah, you want to get famous? You want to get famous? Listen to these four episodes. Listen. <laughs> anyway, once again, cigpodcast.com slash 134 if you want to find all of those cool links. If you want to become a YouTuber and you want to learn, that's where you should go. You will also find a way to rate and review this podcast on iTunes if you want to support the show. That is a great way to do it. it. Helps us climb the rankings and it gives us valuable feedback on how we're doing. And then, hey, I just love hearing from you guys. So thanks for listening. Martin's not on Snapchat yet, but I'm going to still bug him sometimes about it. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see and other than that, I will see you guys in next week's episode. Stay cute.